0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to Psych Your Life. My name is Miriam Mooney, and I am your host. On the show, we talk about both understanding the psychology of mind, behavior, and emotion. So why you are the way you are, and why you do the things you do, and what you can do to get psyched about your life, so how you can not just survive, but thrive in the world we live in. This is something I am deeply passionate about and have dedicated my life to. So if you are looking to take your own healing journey and transformational journey to the next level, please visit my website www.tamirinmooney.com. And last but not least, I am known to swear on occasion. So if you have people around who you'd rather did not hear swearing, please use your headphones. So on today's episode, I am talking to Lynn Thorstenson. I hope I'm saying that right, um, who is a registered nutritional therapist based in County Mayo in Ireland, my homeland. And she has a virtual clinical practice, so you can work with her from all over the world, which I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. She has over 10 years of experience and is both extremely knowledgeable and passionate about her field. Her special interest and I suppose clinical focus is on mindful eating and intuitive eating and helping people with their relationship with their with food, um, eating habits and their bodies. Um, She has a three-year diploma in nutritional therapy, certifications in mind-body medicine, mindful eating, and nutrition counseling, and also currently serves as the secretary for the Center for Mindful Eating. So this. Big, big focus on mindful and intuitive eating, which I am so excited to share with you. Um, so in this conversation, we talk about why diets don't work, and in fact, actually, just make you more sick. What is intuitive eating, um, and kind of the subtle intricacies of the vast array of things that affect our relationship with body, with our body, with food, and how what you can do to rebalance and heal that relationship with both food and your body and yeah lots of lots of other juicy juicy topics um in this realm so i am so excited to share this with you so let's dive right in so um because a lot of
1: people i work with even people who identify as binge eaters or emotional eaters i feel like you know they have a problem with eating too much when you dig into it there's always an element of restriction going on maybe it's been different types of diets um you know cutting out food groups for different reasons and then it sort of backfires so there's always an element of that or even just like a baseline kind of of eating enough
0: mm. What well what, what, what do you mean by eating enough? Like that
1: like people aren't actually either go really long gaps between meals or sort of it's it seems like we're almost afraid to eat to a level of feeling comfortably full. Or, you know, a lot of the sort of diet culture rhetoric is around, oh, I was so good or I was so bad, you know, because I had this food that fits into the bad category or I've been really good this week. So, you know, now I'm gonna allow myself to have some treats. But even when I ask people just generally for recalls, and this actually includes myself, even even at times where it feels like, oh, eating is just an inconvenience because you're busy doing other things, but it's just like, you know, the the quantities of food sometimes, or sometimes the quantities are enough, but we're eating foods like lots of salads and stuff that are like you have to eat a lot of volume to get enough energy from it because Mm. you know they're quite naturally low in calories but so we need to eat like you know we need a lot, large bulk to make us full for first for a period of time and it just feels like you know that that's kind of part of people aren't prioritizing actually having enough food at home then you have to dig into why that is but it's like then your body is really wise so it's going to make sure that you get enough somehow But because we're sort of like mentally limiting ourselves, because you know, we have these arbitrary numbers that's supposed to supposed to subsist on X amount of calories, which is not enough in the first place. And then it's like, oh, when the food is available or you actually have to be really hungry or you're to treat yourself, but actually you're also physically hungry, that one two biscuits turns into most of the package because like you haven't eaten a dinner or even eat for five hours. So, you know. Your body doesn't really care, and you just go, oh, look, just get it in there now because the going is good. Mm. But that's mentally—that's, of course, not how we think about it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, it really sounds like it's this battle between the mind and the body. Like the mind is saying, "Oh, you have to do this, this, and this," but actually, the body is—it's a living, living being, and it isn't always ruled by by what the mind says.
1: I think our bodies are just the the ultimate goal of our bodies is to try to keep us alive. So it doesn't really care if, you know, if you if we think that, you know, these foods are bad or I have to repent or compensate for something. If we're like, if our bodies perceive that we are in a kind of a semi-starving state, it doesn't really care. It will do the the make sure we think about food all the time. It would make sure that we try to make us eat as much as possible when it becomes available. So like we can't we can't win that battle. And I also feel that we have to question ourselves, is that really health and is that really self care? Is that really, mm-hmm. t- you know, Is keeping ourselves sort of semi-starving. Like, who's that serving, really?
0: Yeah, but so, but, yeah, why, why do you think we do do this? Why, why do we, you know, keep our, our bodies
1: semi-starving? I think because we have a diet industry that's worth over $70 billion and we have marketing messages that are telling us left, right, and center that our bodies are supposed to look a certain way, behave a certain way. And if they do, that's the kind of gateway to the promised land. And if they don't, obviously there's something like it's our individual fault, but Mm. like... You know, um, I think it was in one of the books I recently read is called More Than a Body. And one one of those are another one around body image and stuff. And they ask the question to ask ourselves is like, who profits of our
0: insecurities? Hmm yeah but also sometimes I what I think is actually that marketing creates those insecurities in the first place and then offers us the solution to fix them when as if we hadn't seen that messaging at all we wouldn't have had those insecurities at all absolutely
1: because I, I find that even in, in something completely separate to like food and body but like you know when I think about myself where I'm at in my life at the age I'm at you know if I go on about my life, you know, I'm pretty happy. You know, I've set it up the way I quite enjoy living my life and stuff. But, um, if I then sort of see, oh, you know, by the time you're this age, you're supposed to, you know, be married and have had children and you know, be tied up with a mortgage and all of these things like all this cultural conditioning, so. All of a sudden i could find myself like comparing myself God, but i don't have any of those things and oh, what's wrong with me or i'm getting left behind or whatever but it's like hey hang on there but it's like before i saw all of that i was perfectly content to how things were going and that i was doing things that felt right for me you know mm. and for somebody else all of those things are right and that's fine right that's completely fine as well but it's like it's that kind of comparison. And I think when it comes to our bodies and food, I think you're really you're right. You're right on the money to kinda like you probably wouldn't even think half of those thoughts if they weren't planted there in the first place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it is it is frustrating that then okay, then you go and you buy these or you buy into the diets and they don't even actually work because it's as as you were saying before it's the body the body needs to be fed it, it, and it, if even if you try to go in the diet and maybe works for a little bit sooner or later that 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 almost animal part comes out and and makes up for what you've been depriving it of yeah and i, I think
1: and even when we know right even when we know that and we've had the experience of the diet zone work and what makes it harder and and this is me speaking in a body that holds a certain amount of thin privilege. That like it is a lot harder to let go of that illusion if we live in a body that doesn't fit the cultural kind of narrative of what it's supposed to look like, or you know people think about um, you know other people's bodies who don't fit the cultural. Standard, whatever, whatever that happens to be, you know, um, but it's kind of like that is displaced on the individual's failing then, and it tends to be like a, I think the lens we look through, or how it's looked through, is some sort of moral failing as well, which in the end of the day, like our bodies are just here to keep us, so keep us alive, and we live in a it's not about personal moral feelings It's about a system of oppression that keeps us stuck because that serves the larger picture yeah and i i these are not things i knew uh when i did my training in attrition 10 12 15 years ago these are things i learned and continue to learn and unlearn about as I go along in the last maybe five, five or six years, you know, that was never like social justice or social injustices in the food space and in the food and nutrition space. That was never, never talked about um, at that time. It's more to the forefront now, I think, and the mm. conversation maybe thanks to social media. I don't know, but um, yeah, and I, I feel there's a certain amount of responsibility one has to take with the messaging that you put out or like that i put out in the world you know on my social media platforms or blogs and if i am aware of these things um, if i don't i mean you don't know what you don't know but when you do know you i feel like you have to apply a certain amount of tact because you're putting something out that can be picked up by a wide Range of people where, when you sit in your therapy space or your counseling space with that one individual in front of you, you have a different context for that person where certain things is completely fine and valid to say, and other things probably wouldn't because you know that's not going to be helpful for that person. But when we put it out there, kind of like in this wide space,
0: a little bit of PC, I think, is definitely helpful. Yeah. I, I catch myself sometimes actually putting things out and then actually later on realizing that what I said isn't, you know, it can actually make, it's true in some circumstances, but not it's not applicable for everyone. It might actually make some people feel worse because I've, I've, I've phrased it in a way. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I suppose we, we learn as well. And that's where that kind of very a uh, thin line of you know calling in or being and being open to feedback when we do do that and we put something out there and then kind of realize actually that wasn't very inclusive mm. and you know and we learn right but then there also seems to be less and less of a tolerance for that kind of mistakes if you like
0: mm. Yeah, that
1: it's like somebody does one mistake like that. I mean, fair enough. Like, if somebody is being kind of repeatedly does these things, and somebody's asked, Look, this is problematic, and they they keep doing it. But now there's like just the tolerance level for that is way less, and it also feels like then it's like just pile on to this sort of mob mentality.
0: Yeah, that there is definitely a lot of that going on in the. yeah it just doesn't i don't know
1: i I can't see if that's actually helpful in any way but that's just my opinion on that i I can see how that's helpful in making people to be willing to take risks and learn and do Mm. better um and i don't i don't feel how it's even furthering the conversation or and the nuance of conversation and some of these conversations that are difficult and complicated, like in, around race and And I'm by no means ex- expert in any of these, and weight and sexuality and, and gender. Um, like They are really challenging, nuanced conversation. And when you come from a position of privilege in it, there is only so much you can contribute to that conversation. Also, I think that one has to be really aware of. But it's like, there isn't enough characters and space in social media to have those more broader, complex, complicated conversations. I think that's where I'm feeling I'm
0: arriving now. Yeah. Because they are like important conversations to have, but having a conversation where two people, you know... where there's an element of conflict where there are two different viewpoints, I think is actually an art because it's when you have a viewpoint and someone is disagreeing with you. It's very difficult to listen and learning to actually really listen and receive what the different person. The other person is saying to you is already difficult in real life and on social media, because there's no body language, no, n- none of the other nonverbal signals that it's just Yeah, close to impossible, I think, to have fruitful conversations of that type.
1: Yeah. And I think in real life, you and I were having a conversation around a difficult topic and we weren't really agreeing and we were really sort of slowing down and taking the time to listen and hear the other person's arguments and trying to understand where they were coming from that would be challenging like you said in itself but like we wouldn't have you know uh 10 out of ten thousand people watching as well and then coming with their comments in on top of that and somebody else coming on somebody else's comment and, and you know and then it's like goes in all sorts of different directions uh, and then you know it tends to kind of disintegrate quite quickly down to sort of sandpit level where it's like you know, you don't do what I say and I'm just going to smack you across the head. <laughs> but, you know, like, and it's just down to kind of like, you know, all of a sudden it's like hate speech and threats and things. And it's like, you know, what are we like toddlers? You no. Know?
0: Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, it's, I'm, I mean, they, I think at some point some things got to ch- change. Because I, I, I've had this sort of conversation with with a couple of people that the just that there is this lack of human. It's not human the, the the interaction that's that's happening in in that space. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. That's kind of that's kind of
1: that. I don't know if I want to go back to the
0: yeah I think <laughs> I in a different tangent,
1: different um, way, but. You know you were talking about like how maybe my work has changed, and like I was just it made me think about when i when I first joined Instagram in two thousand, I think it was like two thousand and twelve when it was relatively new, and the community was much smaller and at that time, and like food blogging was quite hot mm. and I was like, "Oh, this is really exciting. I want to get into this and um I had my websites kind of redone on around it. at that time my second second version, and I got into a bit of food photography and creating recipes and I was connecting with like-minded people. And I was doing that for a few years, maybe five or something, not super uh, consistent, but you know, I would be putting out a number of recipes a year and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the creative aspects of it. But now also I'm thinking, maybe I wasn't eating enough at that time because I've noticed like when I'm not that hungry, it's hard to be creative with food because you're just not that interested in food. You know? so, but yeah. that's a kind of a retrospective observation. I don't know, but I did enjoy it and I particularly enjoyed the photography aspect of it. But that is kind of like that has sort of shapeshifted. I'm feeling slowly. Maybe I will this year buy myself a new Background, backdrop and, and get back into doing some of it without having the sense of oh god it has to be you know this many or or so forth but yeah something shifted and then my work kind of shifted and I moved into more working with the, doing the work I do now um, working around people's relationship with food and 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 their eating and then kind of body image kind of comes into that as well and I suppose, from that and then learning more about the, the the diet culture and the social justice aspects of stuff i think maybe i've also needed time to digest some of those um concepts or understanding of these different um dynamics that are there um in order for kind of trying to figure out okay like where do i fit in it where does my work fit? Um particularly around being more vocal with it Mm. Um, and how you as well, how you work with that kind of things in, in the room with, with the people, with the people you're working with, because like, I'm very passionate about health at every size and justice and that, you know, everybody has the right to take care of their bodies the way they want to. And that health isn't a moral obligation, but of course, for people who are interested in health and how we, want to take care of ourselves and what self-care might look like in order to take take care of ourselves so that we can live our lives in ways that feels um, important to us I think but you still have to sometimes like when somebody is really new to these concepts we also have to realize like sometimes we hold a lot of internalized weight stigma and fat phobia for ourselves, regardless of our own body size, so I have noticed and I'm totally guilty of that it has been a few times maybe where I have maybe not sat back and listened deeply enough in the first few sessions with the client to really understand where their level of readiness for these things are, and maybe presented it too strongly, I think, and just just people aren't like. God, no, that that's just crazy. Or I but I don't want to I don't want to live in this body that I have right now. I just I can't I can't accept that. That's impossible and and stuff. Yeah. So sometimes you have to like not water down the message, but really um, and again, this is very different when you work with somebody one-on-one to when you're putting something out there in a blog post or a social media post, I think. But for that person in front of you, your job is really to try to meet them where they're at and not push your agenda on somebody. So, I'm definitely guilty of maybe I could do a better job of that sometimes. So it's really trying to learn to, okay, how, how do how do I try to meet this person where they're at so that they can they can move forward not in the pace that I think they should or what I would like them, but actually what feels. Um, good for them and sometimes you know as you know you work with people you can take people so far and that's as far as they can go at that point in time we've all learned, like we work you work with somebody or you work on something in your life and then you know you kind of go that far and then a year later or a couple of months later you're ready for another layer like you know
0: mm. but there's not, you know yeah. that's,
1: i think that's part of the process and yeah that's that's okay
0: yeah, well, because I think sometimes you need some time then to really properly integrate everything that you've learned. And, and yeah, I, I mean, it's not a it's a slow process or any any form of growth, I think. And so would you say like the people coming to you, if I'm getting I'm getting a feeling often maybe they come from a place of, you know, being at war or, or wanting to change their bodies and then do you want? Do you want
1: to speak on that? Yeah, I think what I what I do now, where where I'm at now as a professional, is I'm always really upfront with people and say I work from a non diet perspective. I don't help people actively lose weight. I said it's okay if that's what you want, but it won't be what we're going to be working on. Um, and I tend to ask people like maybe what would it be like to maybe try to put weight loss on the back burner for now and it doesn't mean that i'm ever going to help them with that in the future and because i because of my values and what i've learned of how diet culture works but you don't want to shame somebody for wanting to lose weight because there might be lots of reason why you'd actually want to do that but in the process of trying to heal a relationship with food in our bodies we really do need to put that on the back burner because like trying to do anything else like actively dieting or cutting things out or it's just like it just won't work that is the piece that's getting the way from the beginning or the piece that's probably played a role in, in why people are having the challenges that they do so if people really aren't ready for that then i say that is lovely talking to you and best luck with your journey because it wouldn't be a good fit for them or for me but Mm -hmm. when people are kind of like at the place like there has to be something else or, but I don't know what that something else looks like. That's a lovely uh, place to start from. Yeah. Um, And sometimes people come as well. They might've done a lot of therapy work around other parts of their lives, Mm
0: -hmm. but then they're like,
1: but I'm still struggling with this food piece, which may have been there before some of the other issues or that was originally coping tool that sort of morphed into something else. And then, it can be like i kind of want to work on this now i just want to get my eating right or you know i i don't know how to take care of myself with food or i feel out of control around that or yeah dynamic is still really challenging so so that then we do that kind of work and there is an element of educating around like how diets don't work the, the kind of cultural messaging particularly around female female identifying people um And, you know, and also how that has kept us really small as as women or, you know, and how that sort of serves the system too. If we're not like, we're basically over here preoccupied with our body sizes and we're not going to be that interested in sort of like trying to take over the world or change the system or, you know, advocating for equality, you know, like we're just, we're too busy getting on the scales, checking, you know, if we've gained or lost a couple of pounds. It's like that keeps us distracted, right? So sometimes that kind of stuff can be useful uh, f- to help people find um, ways of like tapping into maybe uh, their values or why they want to, to do their work and um, And yeah, I think it's just give people hope that we don't have to like food and eating doesn't always have to consume us. Mm. like there is lots and lots of things we can do with our lives that has nothing to do with that uh, but the road to, to kind of to get there can sometimes take time and be uncomfortable as well in sort of you know because sometimes it serves a purpose to be distracted over here preoccupied with our weight and then when we sort of drop that it's like oh sugar now I have to look at maybe other things in my life that are a bit more uncomfortable. So that can happen too I think to sort of say oh maybe my relationship is not going so great and my marriage is sort of challenging or there might be other childhood traumas there that have been lurking and then often then that's why I refer out into people I do the work that we can around the how to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves to make sure we're adequately nourished and that dynamic but then often then people need to go off and do that other work as well Mm. Um, because you know that's kind of how it works, different pieces. But that's, I don't know if that answers your questions, but that's kind of yeah. how it looks like.
0: Yeah, I, you touched on so many really, really great, great things that I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned. Because it's a complex thing, Isha, you know, we think it's just—just just, it should be maybe just feeding ourselves, but it's not, it's a reflection of so many other things. Yeah, I think it
1: can be like years ago. I was doing a training, and I think that's where I got it. And, and this, I, I suppose, when I looked at my own story at that time, um it was really talking about like healing a relationship with food and eating as a journey of self-discovery, because mm. it can really be um a beautiful way in to personal growth work. Because it's like you said, you know, yeah, eating. Like I, I do ask myself the question sometimes, like. Uh, particularly, like I said, I've been in the nutrition space for probably ten, fifteen years, and a bit like social media, it's become more and more kind of divisive and complicated and sort of rigid. And, and I was like, oh my god, like when did it's like eating become so complicated? Because mm. how, if it was so complicated, and we had to measure everything all the time, whether it would be Fitbits or rings or weighing stuff out or whatever. It's like how do we get here as a species if have we've have we been relying on these things, these external measurements for, for years, like the way we're being told that we're supposed to today. It's like, our bodies know, you know? Mm. So, um, so like, on one hand, it shouldn't be complicated. It doesn't have to be. But then, of course, on the other hand, it is, and what I'm so drawn to this field is one well, I'm so interested in personally is, like, is these different dynamics that actually is interwoven with a relationship with the food that, that it becomes a way that sometimes that we display um, other challenges through because maybe it's because it's something tangible. So it's easy to yeah. pro- project if like other stuff is going on in your life. It's just very easy to project onto our bodies or weight. Something is wrong with my body because it's something, if I'm feeling uncomfortable, but I can't name it, I can say, wow, oh, ah, I'm too heavy. What is like, my belly is too big or my thighs are too big. And that's that's why I'm, that's why I'm feeling uncomfortable. Mm. But actually, it may not be that at all. But that's a very yeah. easy way. If I don't have a, if I don't have language for, for naming that untangible, mm. it's very easy to, I might just do it without thinking. But it's like, mm. oh, I'm feeling fat. But like, fat isn't a feeling. So mm. what are you actually feeling, you know?
0: Yeah. Mm, a really, really great point. I feel like, like we could talk about this for a very long time. Um but I, I really wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about intuitive eating.
1: Yeah, so I can talk a bit about um that in this because I'm trained in mindful eating and or mindful and,
0: eating if you oh yeah.
1: And and mindful eating and intuitive eating and like when I read the intuitive eating book. Back in twenty, I think it was twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. Now they just came out with their the two ladies, uh, Evelyn Tribble and Elise Rush. They just came out with their fourth edition. I think it was last year, um, updated and revised. I got a copy. It's great. It's definitely highly recommend people reading that. And the the but here's the thing: the first book they wrote was in nineteen ninety six
0: wow so okay
1: you know right so we have to put it in context because it feels like it has this exploded but maybe that's also part of it definitely has bigger reach now i think than it had even five years ago but like this is not new and they were there was, there was other people around that similar time who was also talking about those kind of concepts. There's a few, there was a few different people around in 90s, 80s, late 80s, early 90s, who were kind of like, oh, I was already waking up. And like, that's 30 years ago, like that's over 30 years ago to be thinking about actually like dieting doesn't really work. And they they knew, they saw, and I, and I, there's other people in the sort of health at every size, non-diet space who worked in like bariatric surgery and, and in, in dieting and weight management companies. And I'm like, why isn't it working? Like, why is it not working? And people are feeling miserable and, you know, so like, this isn't new, that the stuff that just doesn't work, like that's not even, that's not even new, but. Like intuitive eating, I think, or, or mindful like mindful eating something that's really, like that has been have problems being co-opted as a dieting tool for years. And I sit on the board uh, for the Center for Mindful Eating, which is a US-based organization, which is a good, um, I think it's maybe 15 years old now. And, um, and we have quite strong non-diet weight inclusive um, guidelines or policies at this stage. Again, revised updates, everybody's learning. But that and intuitive eating, it's kind of like if I was like, whoa, but I I couldn't possibly intuitive eat because then I would eat wherever, all over, like, and I couldn't control myself. But often that sense of out of control comes from that space of restriction. And there can be a period of time when people are letting go of the restriction that they kind of have to eat a bit all over in order to heal that sense. But part of it, like in particular with mindful, mindful eating, which is grounded in mindfulness, is that there's also elements of interoceptive awareness. So, you know, learning to tune into your bodies and knowing like what hunger and fullness feels like, feeling grounded, slowing down, and then not forget that, you know, the other part of mindfulness is compassion and mm-hmm. self-compassion, which is a huge part to this practice as well. And I think, and even in the intuitive eating book, so with intuitive eating, there's 10 different kind of guidelines. And then um, part of that is like, you also do need that kind of mindful interoceptive awareness in order to become more aware of your own internal cues of say hunger and fullness and satisfaction and satiety. Um, And you know, what, what feels good in your body, you know? As opposed to external things, and I like to think about sometimes like you could have two plates with, say, two salads, two lovely salads, and it's the context of which we choose. So for some, for somebody, that salad might be like really nourishing and enjoyable and stuff. But we, if our mindset is different, it can be really restrictive. Or like we're trying to be really good, so like we eat just these things and that's where we allow ourselves, even though that might be part of us, that's yearning for something else, you know, and the same with the cake, you know, one context that slice of cake can be really enjoyable and nourishing it. And and in another context, it can be really punishing because you're just trying to eat it and it feel, you know, might make you feel worse. So like it's, it's really context dependent. So like what's on our plates are, no, it's not really it doesn't really have to do with that it's actually how we are um like our, our intentions behind it if that makes sense to kind of you know what is my intention behind choosing um you know to eat this ice cream because it's really enjoyable it's hot day or am i eating it because i don't want to feel something or because i want to punish myself or you know mm. so or am i eating it because that's like that's asking to my i'm getting hungry and that's the snacks available so yeah yeah
0: so yeah it, it sounds like it's addressed the the main thing is to be is self self-awareness and and feeling connecting with the body it sounded like too and, and like, you know learning to feel what yeah like feeling feelings related to hunger and fullness are and i
1: think it. the the part as well that is really important like there's two two pieces as well um is like permission to eat all foods and eat enough sometimes which can be challenging for people and sometimes there's where working with somebody else to kind of navigating that depending on where one comes from but actually allowing ourselves to eat the stuff we really want and and then alongside that holding all foods as morally neutral Mm. so that you know a carrot is a carrot a piece of cake is a piece of cake it's not a good cake or a bad cake or a good carrot or a bad carrot One well, of this is maybe moldy or something right but it you know because we have that when we put that morality on food then we bring that morality in we internalize that as well so then you know if I'm eating whatever is considered good, I'm not a good person and if I happen to be in that' you know all well and good, but when I'm then eating the flip side of that, something that's bad. Now I'm a bad person, but like really, unless you like stole it maybe, which again, <laughs> I'm kind of wary when I say that because that does happen because people are so hungry or they're just denying themselves. Yeah. Like, so I'm kind of saying that, but like, you know, within, within context, like we, yeah. food can't change our fundamental worth, mm. I think is the yeah. message. And that can be, that can be challenging to be. But I, yeah, that can be challenging because again, if you start looking for those messages, they are kind of like embedded in diet culture. That's everywhere. So to be able to challenge those, but what I do see happening when people can go with that is that if like if not if I'm not a bad person because I had a piece of cake or bag of sweets or whatever it is, something that tends to be in that bad category. A, I don't have to eat more of it when I'm satisfied with what I have because I could have it whenever I want. So I don't mm. have to eat it all now. I can eat as much as I want right now when it feels good, but I don't have to eat any more. be sure, because I can have more tomorrow, or five hours later, whenever you know it's available. And I also don't have to repent. Mm. I don't have to make up for it. I don't have to compensate for it anyway. I can just move on yeah get on with my day and think about the next meal when i get hungry again it's like oh that sounds good now and that can be incredibly freeing
0: yeah yeah i was actually i was just thinking exactly that that even just hearing you say that i feel like it feels like <sighs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah um. it do, i think like even my own lived experience is definitely like when I stopped beating myself up for what I ate, all of a sudden it was like, well, you know, obviously it was so much easier to stop after, you know, the amount of ice cream that felt good. I didn't have to eat the whole tub because, yeah. you know, I wasn't bad and I wasn't going to restrict it the next day. And from there, it was also much easier to make sure that I was actually eating enough food and bringing snacks so that I wouldn't be going for six hours without eating, you know or having food available if I got hungry somewhere, just to even tidy me over to the next meal and stuff and I yeah, I just that and just like allowing myself to kind of go, if I really want to have whatever brownie or biscuit or chocolate or whatever it happened to be, then. I could, if, you know, obviously, granted, it was available to me. And then I would just eat that. Not all the kind of substitutes or all the weird things. And then kind of go, none of that was really satisfying. I'm sure I'm eating all these things now anyway. I might as well go for the, the one thing I wanted in the first place, you know. Yes.
0: I, I've been there. I, I know that that process of, like, not allowing yourself to have something. So you try and have all these other things. And eventually, you just give up and have what you wanted in the first place. Yeah,
1: and I also heard somebody. I think it was a, a woman called Judith Matz, whose work I'm a great fan of. And she said, like in her book, um, Beyond the Shadow of a Doubt, she talks about making a match, a good match. So, like when we are able to um, to to have what we like, what we want, whether that is that brownie or it happens to be a crunchy fresh salad or a piece of root, whatever. That like, when we make that match, it's like our body goes. Oh. And the more we can do that, the more sort of trust. And We build with our bodies, like, so that our bodies are trusting us more because it's like, oh, I'm going to get fed or I'm asking for this and my needs are being met, you know? It really comes back to that. This is basic needs. Food is a basic need. So it's kind of like when we're feeding ourselves, when we're meeting our needs of food and, and you know, meeting our physical needs of hunger with food, we're like telling ourselves that we matter. Mm, that's
0: a lovely, lovely, lovely Yeah, thing, I find
1: that that's so powerful when I think about that. It's like, oh, when I'm actually not trying to override or push away my, my sense of physical hunger, it's actually, oh, I'm hungry and I'm able to eat something. Even if it's just a snack sometimes, which can just blunt it till you know, it's whatever, mealtime. So that's like telling myself, it's like, oh, you're okay, you matter it's okay you're yeah. gonna get fed it's like
0: it's okay yeah so I mean such a basic simple thing in one way but it's for many people to get to that place of, of allowing themselves and, and telling themselves they matter and trusting the body it's a it's a journey to get there if it's you know not what you're used to which many 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 probably most people aren't yeah yeah it's
1: really refreshing when when you hear people say I've never dieted or who just kind of who haven't had the experience you kind of go like you just you just eat and then you just move on like <laughs> what else is there sort of thing you can gonna go what you know what you mean you don't have to like think about all the foods you potentially could have or sh- you know and all the mental space it goes take checking what's available and is there something suitable and is you know am I gonna have this or that and or saving up before you go out or like all of these kind of crazy things, you know, when you could just like eat a snack and move on, you know, or eat your dinner and move on and then just move on to the next thing. And there's like, Oh, you know, I think, Oh God, why did I have that? Or I shouldn't, I and now I like tomorrow I'm, I'm going to do this and this to sort of compensate or whatever, like behaviors one is using. Mm. That is like, Oh, you don't like what you was just eat the food and kind of get on with it like
0: yeah i mean and that's the thing is it, it does it takes up ends up taking just so much mental space and energy and time that that is you know you could be dedicating to so so many other things that would bring you so much more joy yeah yeah and i think sometimes that as well
1: like underlying of course that is like what is you know what has those behaviors like serving us or you know like sometimes they're you know, they might keep us safe in some way or where do they start or like, you know, what purpose were they serving then or now? Uh, even when we think like, okay, I need to get out. I don't want to be in this mess anymore. And then like I said before, like that sometimes that space of like, well, if I'm, if I'm not dieting or if I'm not exercising all the time, or I'm like, if I'm not interested in this stuff, then well, who am I then? Mm. You know, and it's like, the work that you do and stuff it's like coming up is like well now there is lots of space to start really kind of diving into well what would you really like to be doing you know what kind of hobbies are there mm. interests or values and, and things like that you know that people can be doing with their, their time in ways that really feels supportive and nourishing to their lives
0: yeah like
1: you said earlier, it's very, very freeing and liberating. It definitely, it definitely is. I think for me it's, it's been really freeing and, 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 you know, I just finished another book called Anti-Diet by a, a lady called Christy Harrison. And, um, it was really interesting is she talks about her own story and she said, look, she said, if I, if I hadn't had my own eating issues, uh, her original career was in journalism. And then she kind of started writing about all kinds of nutrition stuff. And then she went off and got a master's in public health and then became a dietitian. She said, I'm not sure if I hadn't had my own eating issues, I wouldn't even gone in that trajectory. She said, I still have had a rewarding career and you know, it's taking me in different places and I really enjoyed it. But she said, I'm not sure if that's what I would have pursued if I wasn't you know if I hadn't been that hung up on food myself and I think even for me even though when I started my nutrition training originally I was I was on my way I think to to kind of I had taken my first step onto my sort of recovery journey um, which was probably good because it could have been quite challenging otherwise like I had already sort of like stopped weighing myself and given myself permission to eat and all this kind of stuff so that was probably lucky. I was probably a year or two into it at that stage, but I do remember thinking that, like, I've been spent. I've spent so much of my life already thinking about, you know, food and nutrition and what to eat and what not to eat and reading all the diet books and stuff. That I was like, I might as well make it a professional career now. You know, I might as well go off and do some training in the subject so that I know, um, you know, that I that I know more or I'm a bit more qualified. So who knows, but like, this wasn't my original career anyway, so who knows, but it might change in another 10 years, I might decide, "Ah, I'm done with this now. (laughs) (laughs) But I do, I do really do, um, I do enjoy working with people and I think it's that transformational process um, and to see when, when like, when that shift happens in my clients and they're kind of like, have so much more space actually this thing matters less mm. it still matters but it matters less and i have more space to actually pursue things that i really want to do and things like not even having conversations around diets and weight and you know these kind of things I'm like oh, we've we'll talked about something else you know so yeah. that's that and i think i feel like I feel like it's like my work is a bit like a starfish approach, you know, one person recovers and, and kind of gets on their journey. Um, That changed something for that person, but the small ripple effects as well is that it can change the trajectory from, for all the people around them. I suppose more so women, but also men, but like, you know, if they have nieces and sisters and cousins and daughters and, you know, that that it's slowly kind of breaking that chain one by mm. one
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. it can it changes the narrative and can can inspire others
1: yeah um, yeah care. and it's sort of and often you do see as well that people have had um you know their mother has been dying and maybe their grandmother as well and like it's running down the line and Sometimes people wake up when they have their own children and it's like, actually, I don't want to pass this on to my kids. So mm. I need to do the work now. And that is lovely. For me, that that makes everything really worthwhile because it's like, we're breaking the chain. And unfortunately, like I said, they, they wrote that book in 1996. That's like 30 odd years ago. And the what, what 25 years ago, and things aren't getting better. Things are getting worse, I think. So mm. I'd be happy if I was doing this work for another five or ten years and I ran out of clients because it wasn't a problem anymore. I think it's coffee, doesn't be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm okay with that because that feels like, well, then we really made progress. Then we really mm. made a difference, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Not that we nice. have, like, people coming out of our ears. Yeah.
0: Um, So I think we're actually probably coming up to our time, Um, maybe just to wrap it up, if in a short sentence, if for someone just starting their journey and and wanting to, you know, change their relationship with food and uh, their bodies, a simple uh, bit of advice that you might give them, what, what would that be?
1: I think, oh, there's so many things. I know. (laughs) One thing, and to keep it short, I would say would be to examine one's relationship with the scales and see would it be possible to maybe just give that one a break and Mm -hmm. see what happens and notice what happens. It might be uncomfortable for sure, but just notice what happens when we are more present and we don't give up. Give our power off to some inanimate object but and I say that because for me personally getting off the scales was a very um, pivot moment in my own journey um, mm. so that's it. that's an easy there's lots of other ones I could go into but um, yeah. that's a very tangible one
0: I think yeah yeah and, and then, I mean, I think- we've touched we've touched on lots of other things yeah
1: so i think that's that's one was they get curious about that and if, if someone's like oh i don't know about that then just get curious about that
0: mm, brilliant thank you thank um, you thanks for it was having me it was really lovely fun. lovely talking to you as i said i could feel like i could talk for a long time about this it's really interesting to me um, And just so people know where they can find you, do you have a website or? Um,
1: I do have a website yeah. called straightforwardnutrition.com. So that's where I kind of hang out. And it's, yeah, people can find in more information about me and the work I do. And if they want to connect, that's possible there too. Um, my social media channels are also quite idle at the moment, but hopefully things will. I'll get back into some more content creation in the near future, but that's the website is a good place to get to know a bit more about me yeah. and my work. So.
0: Perfect. All right. Thank you very much. Um, as I said, so lovely. You. Likewise. Wow, wow, wow. I loved that conversation so, so much. It's something I'm deeply passionate about. Also, I, I struggled a lot with body image and had an eating disorder when I was younger, so hearing people like Lynn speak up about this and, and spreading the word that there's a different way, that, that diets don't work, that the body is not is something to be listened to and, and to establish a connection with and, and it is about our relationship with food and just <laughs> everything she talked about. I, I um love hearing it. It's so refreshing because it isn't the common narrative, is it? anyhow i will she mentioned a couple books and stuff those will be in the episode description otherwise my pleasure to be here having these conversations uh you know where to find me on my website if you want to go deeper with me or if you want to go deeper with lynn her details will be in the bio description i um, wishing you all the best on your journey